0: The mission of our church, the God-given mission of our church, is to make disciples who make disciples in this time and in this place. And then as we have an opportunity to also do it beyond. And so that's what we're doing together. And we've come to the point in this letter, Colossians, uh, which I'm preaching through, um, that I've been, been uh, eager to get to where Paul urges the Colossian Christians to embrace the specific responsibilities of the Christian life. And he traces out, he not only urges them to it, but he traces out exactly what those responsibilities are. What does it mean to be a Christian? What, what is your life like? What behaviors are you involved in and not involved in when you are a Christian? And so we've reached that point in uh, the letter. If you are to grow as a disciple, it's going to mean growing in all of these Behaviors, And that's what I want to do. That's what I want you to do with me um, as well. So let me read the um, full part of this letter. I'll, I'm going to start in um, chapter 3, verse 5, and I'll, I'll finish reading in chapter 4, verse 6, because these are all the behaviors of um, a Christian. And uh, then I'll preach afterward, and I won't get very far on it, but at least start this uh, section. So um, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them, but now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice. Slander and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices and have put on the new self. Who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew. Circumcised and uncircumcised. Barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man. But Christ is all and in all. So as those who have been chosen of God of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly within you with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Wives, be subject to your husbands as is fitting to, in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be embittered against them. Children, be obedient to your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they will not lose heart. Slaves, in all things, obey those who are your masters on earth, not with external service as those who merely please men, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that From the Lord, you will receive the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Christ whom you serve. For he who does wrong will receive the consequences of the wrong which he has done, and that without partiality. Masters, grant to your slaves justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well, so that God will open up to us a door for the word, so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, for which I have been imprisoned, that I make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Let your speech always be with grace, as though seasoned with salt, so that you will know how you should respond to each person it's a pretty full description of the Christian life. Focuses on, um, what we're to te- be toward the Lord and then towards each other and then even outside toward, um, the world. Um, a very full list of characteristics. And in this list, Paul likes, um, groups of five, groups of five. Um, First of all, what he said to put off, no, no, what he said to put to death, put to death. And that's what we're going to look at um, this morning. A group of five, immora- and then there's verse five, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. And then uh, verse eight, there's another list of sins to put off. It's also a group of five, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech. And so right off the bat, this is the beginning of the description, it talks about, um, Two groups of some of the most common and troubling sins um, that Christians face. And one is sexual sins, the first group of five, and then the other is interpersonal um, sins with each other. And uh, that's the second group of five in verse uh, eight. And then uh, he gets to verse 12, five graces to be put on like new clothing as well in the place of those other sins. And it's also a group of uh, five, verse 12, a heart of put on, a heart of compassion. Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. So um, this morning, all I'm going to try to do is get through the first five of these sins. And they're all found in uh, verse uh, five. So uh, the command is going to be to put these things to death. Put these five things to death. That's our focus for this morning. But you'll see in verse five, the first word is therefore. And um, there's always a reason. For the word therefore, it it, um, it it calls you back to what has come before, and says so you're to put these off based on what has come before. And so, what's come right before this verse? Well, two commands, two two important commands: seek things above, it's verse one, and the second command, set your mind on things above. Two commands, and it's therefore because you're doing that that you're uh, to put these uh, things to uh, death. So you're to seek things above, set your mind on things above by faith. That's what it's describing. And the things above is where Christ is, the resurrected Christ is. And also your life is hidden uh, with him uh, there. And uh, so you're to seek things above. You'd be thinking, you'd be trusting in what's there uh, above and only in that way only it's that's the context in which you're to put these sins um to death. And uh, actually that's only the place where true repentance is found. And that's what you're doing when you're putting off these things, truly putting them off so that you can put on uh the graces of uh the Christian life. That is true repentance and you can't repent Unless you're seeking things above, unless your mind is uh, on Christ and on your life being hidden with um, Christ. And that's why we have the word therefore. He doesn't just jump into, well, just start putting these things off. No, it's uh, seek the things above, set your mind on things above. And therefore, because of that, now you can start putting off uh, the sins. Let me uh, just choose one example before we get to these of a responsibility of the Christian life and uh, explain to you why it doesn't work unless you're seeking things above. It's not a true repentance, even if you try uh, to to uh, repent um, in this way. Let me, let me choose just one example of a responsibility of the Christian life. It's a key example. What shall I choose? Love for enemies. Love for enemies. That's what a Christian does. In fact, that's a key characteristic of a Christian's. Pray for those who persecute you. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. That's that's kind of a signature characteristic of a Christian. If you see somebody doing that, uh, they're a Christian. It's only Christians who are going to be doing that responsibility of uh, the Christian life. So if you're not doing that, if you're not loving your enemies, if you're not doing good to those who do evil to good, I'm telling you this morning, you need to repent. You need to make that a part of your life, this uh, love uh, for enemies. But let me also tell you, you can't repent of failing to love your enemies until you grasp, until you set your mind on the fact that Christ ascended in His body is radiant with that very kind of love. It's a love for enemies and that that love is for you. Unless you set your mind on that, unless you have a therefore, you're setting your mind uh, upon that. You cannot repent uh, of not having that same love for uh enemies and what's true of love for enemies i chose that as my example uh is is same is also true of all the other responsibilities of the christian life you cannot truly repent let me say it a different way of offending god as a lawgiver just put in your mind God is the one who makes the laws. He created me. He owns me. He can command whatever he wants because he owns me and he says this is wrong and I'm going to repent of it And because God exists and he made this law and I need to follow it. If you repent in that way, it will be a shallow repentance. It will be what uh, the Puritans used to call illegal repentance and they meant by that a, sh- a shallow re- repentance. If you just repent of offending God in that way, in his role as uh, a law giver, but when you grasp that you've offended a God of unimaginable love fathomless love and that his love is for you and you've offended him, you've rejected him, uh, you've turned him away, then the real tears can flow, the tears of true repentance. And then they can wash away all the sins that are mentioned uh, here, including these immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, uh, greed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, all of the sins uh, that are mentioned here. So it's important. You don't want to skip the word therefore. It's by setting your mind on things above and what is only above uh, Christ that you're able to truly uh, uh, repent. The tears of true repentance are found by seeking, setting your mind on things above. And so this therefore that's based on setting your mind on things above is a prerequisite. It's a context for all of the putting off and uh, putting on. It's only a person who's setting his mind on things above that is going to be truly repenting putting off all of these things and putting on um, the rest. Okay, so therefore, and now let's get to it, put the members of your earthly body to death. Put to death the members of your earthly body is the uh, command that's given. And that's followed by these uh, five things. So it says, put to death your body parts that are on this earth. That's what it literally says. And then it names them, but it's not naming body parts like uh, the thigh bone, the knee bone, the foot, the toes. No, it's, it's uh, mentioning things that you would do with your body, like immorality impurity, passion, evil, desire, and greed. Some things obviously are done um, with the body or at least they're done with uh, the mind. So it says, put to death the members of your body, the body parts on earth. And when it says that, put to death your body parts on earth. To say put to death your body parts, is a it's sort of a memorable and vivid in a way that fits in this context of these sins. It's a memorable way of saying you and of saying Put to death yourself and, and of uh, showing that these sins, these activities, uh, the, your body parts on earth is the way it's put. They come from you. So what is meant by this? Put to death your, uh, the members of your body on earth. It means put to death all that you are apart from faith in Christ and especially as they lead to these kinds of sins and, and, uh, uh use your body in, uh, these ways. Put to death the members of your body on earth put to death everything about you that is not uh, hidden in Christ and yours uh, by faith. So it's putting to death the you that's on this earth uh, where what you see is what you get. And you're not thinking of yourself and your connection to uh, Christ. The you where the best thing about you is not what you have by faith in another. And uh, what's found in him, but the you where the best thing about you is something hidden deep within you in the inner recesses of your being that needs to be uh, brought out in uh, some way. So this is a way of saying, put to death these behaviors and they're coming from you. And it's a fitting way of saying it. put to death your body parts uh, that are upon uh, the earth. And so it's uh, uh, identifying the source of them not not saying it's it's the outward parts of your body and and the real you isn't involved in these things, but it's saying you, your body is you and your body parts are you and so it's saying these sins and the way they that your body carries them out, they come from you and they need to be put to death in that way. It's like uh, the scary part of a movie where you're tracing the phone call and it says the call's coming from the building, from inside the building. You know, it's coming from you. It's coming from yourself and that's what uh, the way in which these sins need to be um put to death so the members of your body of your body on the earth it's a different way of saying and kind of fitting for this context but it's the same way as what is said in other parts of the bible your old self the old person or even your old uh nature put to death the old self the old person as it puts forth the impulses to these sins put that uh to death now let me ask you a question about the old self and I think it's what's described here although it's described in terms of uh, the parts of your body that are on the earth. Let me ask you a question about the old self, the old nature, the old you or it's, as it's described here your members on earth. Is it dead or alive? For Christians, um, is it dead or is it alive? When you first put your faith in Christ, It's such a break from the past. It's so different from what has been done before, and it's so powerful, the change that takes place, that the scripture speaks of it in this way, that the old you, the one characterized by selfishness, has died and is dead, and the new you has come into being, and that's characterized by the opposite. It's characterized by self-giving love. And so there's a number of scriptures. Let me just show you passages in scripture that speaks of the old you having died when you first came to faith. Uh, Colossians chapter two, verse 12 says, having been buried with him, with Christ in baptism, in which you were also raised up with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And it's talking about a death and actually a burial uh, with Christ of the old you, the old self, the old nature and a, a rising of um, the new. Or um, Colossians chapter two, verse uh, 20. If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to such decrees? And he mentions some that the false teachers were saying, but uh, it assumes that they've died with Christ. That's when, which it said, if you have, and I'm assuming you have, because he's talking to Christians, if you've died with Christ or um, more plainly, uh, chapter three and verse three, four, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in, uh, in God. But now when we come to this same old nature, same old you, it says, put it to death. Put to death the members of your body on earth. And you say, well, is it dead or is it still alive? If it's dead, I wouldn't need to keep on putting it to uh, death and it wouldn't still be needing to be um, killed. So which is it? Which is it? I think, I think the answer to this, and I, I think preachers struggle to put into words exactly how to put it. I think the best answer to this is in hope, in hope in the future, in anticipating the future, the old self has died. In other words, the outcome is so sure that you can speak of it as an accomplished fact. And the Bible usually does. Uh, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away and the new has come. And it's described as a done deal. Uh, but it's it's described in hope of what will be, what's been set in motion and the outcome is uh, secure. In reality, currently, if you wanna just take a snapshot, of a Christian. I think the best way to say it is that we are, and I know that some say it slightly differently, but the best way to say it is that we are mixed persons. We're partly old, we're partly new, as our faith struggles against unbelief and our flesh, that is us, apart from Christ, resonates with a lot of different uh, kinds of uh, temptations. Um, preachers may debate about the best way to put this but there's a sense in which we're all kind of talking about the same thing using different names we all struggle as christians against um sin we all experience what it is yes we've died in christ we've we've uh, entered into a totally new different life and one day it's going to be totally uh, new, so that totally the new has come, but we feel the pull of the old. And it's not a dead thing. It's an alive thing. It's something difficult. It's something that pulls back uh, against us. And I think the best way to describe this is not that we have two natures, that we're two persons so that we're two selves. We're not schizophrenic. We're one person, we're one self, we're one nature, but at present, I like to put it this way anyway, we're partly old and partly new as those struggle um, together. And let me give you a couple illustrations that I like. Uh, of this, of being partly old and partly new, and yet the new has come decisively. Uh, one is the dawn. I was up at dawn today because I was studying for uh, this and putting this uh, together, um, where it's partly dark and partly light, and yet the day has come. The day has come, isn't it? And there's nothing that's gonna hold it back once it uh, starts uh, to come. It's the time in which the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and the women came. Um, on that Sunday morning that Easter morning and they came to bring uh, spices and it's it's interesting because it's described in four different ways in the four Gospels It's described in Matthew as dawn It's described in Mark as when the Sun had risen It's described in Luke as early dawn is just the first part of the dawn when the light was just coming and in John It's described as early while it was still dark Early while it was still dark. So it's it's a time when light is mixing with uh, the darkness, it's a time when somebody, especially somebody who's been waiting all night, can say, the day has come. The night has passed away, the day has come. As soon as the light peeks over uh, the horizon. But it's also a time when light is mixing with dark, darkness, butting against the darkness. And the light is only maybe only beginning to scour out uh, the darkness, the light pushing together at uh, the darkness. And yet, the light has the upper hand, doesn't it? It's not a fair fight at dawn. The light's going to win in the end, and that's why you can say that light has uh, come. That's the way in which the righteous are described. Proverbs chapter four and verse uh, eighteen: "The path of the righteous is like the light of dawn that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. The way of the wicked is like darkness. They don't know over what they stumble. There's no there's no dawn for them. It hasn't the sun hasn't begun to rise. All they do is uh, walk." In darkness. Let me give you one other illustration for uh, the same thing. And this one comes from uh, the book of Revelation between the sixth and the seventh trumpet. And before the seven bulls, it's you're right in the middle of the tribulation. There's chaos on the earth. The two witnesses are resurrected. So we're probably somewhere near the midpoint of the seven year tribulation, which is this time of great conflict upon the earth between God and Satan. And then the seventh trumpet sounds um, and it's, Uh, The signal for the bulls to be poured out. There's more to come. It's all going to lead up to the battle of uh, Armageddon. But in heaven, when the seventh trumpet sound, the angels rejoice and they say the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. It's like this decisive thing has been set in motion. There's still chaos on the earth. The kingdoms of the world at that point, actually, they're being ruled by Satan well, they're being ruled by the Antichrist. Um, at that uh, point, the battle's not over, but the outcome is so secure. And even the trumpet sounding, the seventh trumpet uh, sounding, what's been set uh, at motion in that is so much that the angels are already celebrating. They're already saying it's as good as done. And it's the same way for the Christian who says old things have passed away. Bold, all things have become new. The battle's not quite over. The battle's raging, but the outcome has been secured. It's like the uh, song that I've heard. I don't have to wait till the battle's over. I can shout now. I know the outcome already, but the battle's not over. The battle's not over, the, and there's a continued need to uh, fight. So the fact that we've died in Christ, in hope, in the outcome, what's been set at motion, and yet we still need to put to death the old nature in the way it's described in this passage is uh, put to death the members of your body on the earth, the old nature that's uh, weighing you down however you want to put it. I hope the decisiveness of that death in Christ that we're still working out uh, now gives you courage to renew your effort. Uh, the sins come coming from the part of you that's old, whatever you want to call it, from uh, your members, you need to have courage that the battle's going to be won so that you can... Put them to death with an attitude of showing no mercy, giving no quarter, making no negotiated peace with any of those sins, but nipping it in the bud, strangling the monster in the crib, showing no mercy to it. That is truly repent, truly repent of uh, all of these things. Put them off and then put on uh, others. So put to death, it's kind of a warlike command. Therefore, put to death the members of your earthly body, Uh, And then it mentions the sins that are coming from you, coming from you. Um, One Puritan put it like this. Use sin as it would use you. Spare it not, for it will not spare you. It is your murderer. Therefore, use it as a murderer should be used. Kill it before it kills you. And so it's it's to be done with seriousness. It's to be done with courage. It's to be done with an attitude of victory. And the battle is to be engaged uh, over all of these uh, sins, uh, to be killed and then graces to be put on, um, as well. And it's a, it's a battle. So what is to be put to death? The old self in you is to be put to death as it does these things and it's going to use body parts uh, to do these, uh, things. Uh, and this is our first group of five. It moves from outward to inward. It moves from act to the motive behind uh, the act, this, this list of uh, five. So it's going to start with sexual immorality. That's the first one mentioned. And then, And then it's going to go more inward. Impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed which amounts to uh, idolatry. So it's gonna start from the outward manifestations of the sins to its inward craving, the inward springs of the heart. It's interesting. The next list of five is gonna move in the opposite direction, kind of from inward to outward. We won't get there today, but um, when it talks to these sins of interpersonal relationships, uh, verse eight, put these aside, anger wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. So that's going to talk about how that sin, uh, Paul's going to start from the inside and then work his way outside in telling you to put off that group of five uh, sins. The first sin to be put off is, my translation says, immorality. It's a word that means sex outside of marriage. That's what the word means. That's what everybody who used it meant um, in that day. And that's the first thing that Paul mentions to put off. When Paul mentions uh, sins to be put off or the deeds of the flesh, he almost always starts with this one. He almost always starts uh, with this one and I'll, I'll um, show you maybe just a few places where he does it. Galatians chapter five and verse uh, 19. Um, I'm not in Galatians. Galatians five, where he talks about the deeds of the flesh. Now, the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, same word that's used, sex outside of marriage, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, Things like these of which I forewarned you and I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I won't show you some of the other lists. First Corinthians six, nine, Ephesians five, five. Or That's the first one that he mentions is uh, this word for um, sex outside of uh, marriage. So Paul often begins with that sin when he's talking about the responsibilities of um, the Christian life. Um, and he does here as well for the Colossian. Uh, believers. Interesting, especially as he's talking about, put these things off as your mind is set above, that he chooses to start with a sin that their culture did not think was sinful. A vice that their culture didn't think was a vice at all, especially for a man. Um, sex outside of marriage. Uh, I think in their culture, they thought only one part of that would be sinful or a problem or a vice, um, which would be adultery. To, sleep with someone else's wife would be something frowned upon, uh, for them, but mainly for the problem that it would have a destabilizing effect on society for passing on inheritance to, uh, the next generation. So, so that, uh, someone's wife, he wouldn't know whether the children were legitimate or illegitimate, uh, children. So, so not, uh, not a, not a really a good reason, uh, for considering that advice and not a vice that would rule out all of the, this, this, of sex outside of, uh, of marriage and it's the same in our culture. They lived in a very sexualized culture and we do too. We do too. We're not uh, far behind them. And so for this sex outside of marriage in our culture, there's really no shame. There's no shame for it. It's just considered um, self-expression. Um, it's considered wholesome. It's like a nice love story would be, a, would uh, involve this. Um, it's considered um, wholesome if it's considered wrong, it's considered wrong for the consequences it might bring. Uh, maybe an unwanted pregnancy that would keep someone from accomplishing their goals or something like this. But no, it's wrong because it doesn't fit with Christ. None of it. Not just a part of it, none of it of this. Uh, it's, it's, that is only intended for, uh, marriage. And so if you're seeking the things above, seeking the character that you find not coming out of you apart from Christ, but seeking the character that's found above where your life is hidden uh, with Christ. This has no place. It's something that you are to put to death and any impulse towards you towards. This is something that you are to um, put uh, to death so that this was not the standard uh, then any more than it is now. It was not considered a vice. Um, of course, the standard today is for us in our culture is, um, anything done between consenting adults, it's fine. It's not a vice, whatever it is, as long as it's done between, um, consenting adults, but uh, that's not the standard, uh, that's found here. That's not what comes from the character of Christ. Um, in this, our, our culture is, uh, deceptive because it seems like, um, what's, what's normally considered normal and, and uh, considered the way just the, uh, the world works, their attitude towards sex outside of marriage, where basically anything goes except for uh, where uh, one adult doesn't consent, um, that seems to honor the body. In, in a way, they seem like they're setting, when, they, when they, they're proponents of this, it seems like they're honoring the body because it honors every appetite of the body. If you feel it, do it, you know honor whatever your body wants to do, even if it's some sort of uh, uh, perversion, it really dishonors the body because the, the thinking behind that is what you do with your body is just only a tool. Your body is only a tool for your pleasure and that your body is not you. And so the idea that the world promotes all the time is if you sleep with someone, it doesn't mean anything. It's not really you, it's just your body. And your body isn't really a part of you anyway. And so this thing that, in a way, it might seem to honor the body, honor everything that it desires, it actually dishonors the body. It makes your body something that is not even you. And um, Scripture says, "No, you are your body." First Corinthians chapter six and uh, verse uh, thirteen uh, says, um, "The body is not for immorality." That's the word. That's the and it means the same thing uh, here. Same word. Your body is not for immorality, but for the Lord. And the Lord is for the body. And the reason why the Lord is for the body is because the Lord is for you and your body is you. And so what you do with your body matters to the Lord and especially in this uh, important uh, area. And so we honor the body as the Lord honors the body uh, by keeping sexuality within the bounds of marriage where it belongs. And so the activity uh, that's described by this word sex outside of marriage, a Christian is to put to death to death, to have no quarter with it, but uh, to put it to death. What else should be put to death along with this immorality? Um, impurity, impurity as well. This is a word was used for ceremonial uncleanness. Um, you know, uh, sacrifices be tainted uh, ceremonially unclean if you touch, let's say a dead body uh, or something like that. But of course the word can also refer to moral uncleanness as well so the first word immorality would be the act uh, of sexual immorality but this would be this would be the dirty mind that goes with it that from which that act um, uh, springs uh, from and so uh, paul goes beyond just the act that you're to put to death but also the thoughts and the intentions that go with the act or that uh, if you come short of the act, you're still not to have those thoughts and intentions uh, in your heart. Of course, the Lord himself um, spoke of this sermon on the Mount, Matthew, chapter five and verse 28. He wasn't just concerned with the act, but also with um, the uh, intention. Acts chapter five, verse 28. I say to you, or, well, you've heard it that it was said you shall not commit adultery. There's the act. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with less for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So the Lord is concerned not just with uncleanness in the body, but also uncleanness in the heart. Mark chapter uh, 7 and verse 21. For from within, out of the heart of man, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, Murders, adulteries, deeds of coveting and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, evil, slander, pride, and foolishness. The Lord is very clear uh, on this, that uh, the outward acts proceed from an, from you, from inward, and uh, only Christ can set you free uh, from that. So the Lord is not just concerned with the act of sexual immorality, but with the mindset that goes with it. Certainly that would include pornography that is readily available uh, to us. And so if you're involved with that at any level, You're to put it to death, put it to death, the uncleanness um, that goes with that. Number three is passion. Passion, the third one, Colossians 3, 5. Put to death immorality, impurity, passion, which is unrestrained appetite, and evil desire. Evil desire. And I, I can't make too much of a distinction between passion, which is your appetites, uh, going towards this, and then um, evil desire, which would be what 's going on in your mind, the fifth one is greed, and this one is special among the list of these five immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed it's special in two ways it first of all, it says the word the immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and the greed the greed the is not. Um, exactly the same in English as it is in Greek. So you have to uh, translate it differently. Uh, well, it doesn't always come across in translation. The word uh, the, the covetousness, uh, is what stands behind the others of these. Immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire. Uh, the word greed, covetousness, stands behind the others Exodus chapter 20 and verse 17 says this about covetousness you shall not covet your neighbor's house you shall not cover your neighbor's wife nor your his male servant or his female servant or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Mm-hmm. So this covetousness is um, something that stands behind not only sexual sin, but it stands behind the others um, as well. And uh, this is to want what isn't yours. This is to want what God has not given you. So this is uh, behind sex outside of marriage. And uh all of the inward things that are associated with that, it's behind other things, too, as well. The third uh, or the second part of this is that it's equated with idolatry. It's equated with idolatry. This last, this fifth that is on this list is equated with idolatry. And not just here that um, covetousness is equated with idolatry, but also in Ephesians chapter five it talks about those who will not inherit the kingdom of the Lord it indicates the covetous, and uh, that also that um, the covetous are idolaters. So when you want something that is not yours, whether it's flowed into this um, area of sexuality, or whether it's flowed into um, another, coveting your neighbor's house, coveting anything that doesn't belong to your neighbor, it's the same as idolatry. And what is idolatry? Idolatry is saying, "I wish that God did not exist." I'd like to manufacture a different God. I'd like to decide, I'd like to decide myself what God does, and I'd like to be God myself. So, uh, the, the greed, and this is tracing this sin, the outward action, back through the inward parts, to every part of it, tracing it back to the ultimate root, which is wishing for something that, uh, does not belong to you, Um, And that is a form of idolatry. And so if you're serious about fighting against this sin or these kinds of sins, you have to fight it in its every motion for sure. But then also to trace it back to its heart. It's not just a behavioral sin. It's a theological sin. And then call it what it is. It is seeking to replace God with yourself. It is seeking to kill God with yourself. It is the sin of idolatry. And so this sin in all its forms has to be traced back to its root, the ugliness with which um, you would wish to kill God and replace him. It traces back to idolatry. So let me ask this question. These uh, sins that are mentioned, the first five that are mentioned, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. How are you doing in this? How are you doing in this? In living a life free of these things. In putting to death these uh, things. This is the responsibility of the Christian life. It's to live a clean life. It's to live a pure uh, life through and through in your acts and in your thoughts. In fact, this is the opening responsibility of the Christian life. So how are you doing in this? Do you need to, be rebuked? Do you need to get serious? Do you need to redouble your efforts to grow as a disciple in this important area of your life? Well, let me encourage you if that's you and you need to receive a rebuke, need to redouble your efforts and grow uh, as a disciple. Let me encourage you. It is Christ's power and love to set you free, to set you free from this and, uh, the way he, uh, does it is the way he did it when he was on this earth. He did it in this order. He would say to people, my child or my son, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. And then in, the, almost in the same breath, and go and sin no more. Go and sin no more. So let those words seek, sink, sink deep into your soul from Christ. Your sins are forgiven. And then take these words deep in your soul all the way through. Uh, to the deepest parts uh, of your soul, um, go and sin no more. Proverbs chapter six, uh, verse four and five says, "Give no sleep uh, to your eyelids um, until you until you take care of this matter." It's talking about uh, getting out of a pledge. Um, that's going to obligate you, but the same is true of sin. The same kind of action, the same kind of immediate action, is true of this sin. As we put to death these things, give no sleep to your eyelids, nor slumber to your eyelids. Deliver yourself like a gazelle from the hunter's hand, and like a bird from the hand of the fowler. So, seek the things above, where Christ is, and then put these things to death. Put these things uh, to death. And I hope the, that that um, Christ's power. Christ's love, Christ's forgiveness uh, even, fills you with courage, with holy zeal, and with boldness and strength to put these things to death and to grow as a disciple of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for the power, the love that comes from Christ himself. We pray that you would teach us to put to death uh, all all of these things that are related to purity um, and uh, cause us to grow uh, in these things, that our lives will be clean, that our lives will be pure, that our lives will be characterized not by the old life, the things that uh, characterize the old self with its desires, but by what characterizes the new life and the new self uh, and uh, the characteristics of Christ himself. And so we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.